It was heartbreak for Liverpool just 12 months ago. Bale again going for goal. Oh, he's gone through the goalkeeper, Carrius. That should be the KO blow in Kiev, delivered from distance by Gareth Bale. Will it be redemption and a sixth Champions League crown for Jurgen Klopp's Reds? For me, it was an old Standing in their way, though, are a Tottenham side who are preparing for the biggest night in their history. Lucas Mora! Oh my goodness me! This is beyond astonishing! It is beyond words! Tottenham have won it! in literally the final seconds. You'll hear from the star names in our in-depth preview of what should be an enthralling final in Madrid, right here on the UEFA Champions League Match Day Live podcast. What a match we have in store. First time finalists Tottenham take on last season's runners-up Liverpool in the UEFA Champions League final. Hello, I'm Rob Daly and this is the special preview show you'll hear from Hugo Lloris and Jurgen Klopp ahead of this season's showdown in Madrid. There's so much to get through with my guests, the European football expert Andy Brassel and Matchday Live commentator for the final, uh, Steve Wilson. Gents, I just wonder, with two teams who haven't won a great deal in recent years, how important is it for one of them to lift a trophy in June? I think it's hugely important uh, for both these clubs, both these managers. It's been a, a stick which Mauricio Pochettino has been beaten with, despite all the progress that, that Spurs have made over his time in charge, that they hadn't won anything. And uh, of course, the same has been said of Jurgen Klopp, that he also hadn't won enough in his in his Dortmund time, people say. It is absolutely vital that um, you know one of these clubs can look back and say, this is when we broke our duck. And for one of them, they will, and one of them, they won't. I do feel there's a lot less pressure on Tottenham, though, Steve, because I do think it's about the journey as as, as much as the final result in, in the Champions League. And we can see that by the reaction to the way that some of the biggest clubs have gone out over Europe. Look at Barcelona in the last two years. Look at Paris Saint-Germain, for example. Look at Real Madrid this season against Ajax. And I'm sure we'll come on and talk about Ajax and what they've contributed to the competition later on. But with Tottenham... It's been such an incredible progression in the UEFA Champions League over the last couple of years. Of course, they'd be devastated if they didn't get over the line. But with Liverpool, especially having made the final last season and come so close in, 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 a, in a way, especially because of their illustrious history in this competition, there's something expected mm-hmm. of Liverpool that's perhaps not of Tottenham. I mean, you, you oh, talked a, a, yeah. about the stick used to beat Mauricio Pochettino, and you're absolutely right. But, you know, it's strange that in a domestic context, uh, some people feel he would be more validated by winning a League Cup than getting to a UEFA Champions League semi-final or final, as he's now got, which was way beyond expectation, I think, of most people at the start of the season. No, absolutely. When people say that Spurs need to win a trophy, the trophy that they were more probably thinking about at the beginning of the season would have been one of the uh, English domestic cups. I don't think anybody expected that Spurs would really be challenging for winning the Premier League and certainly not 
the UEFA Champions League. Expectations for Liverpool very different at the start of the season. Yes, they should be challenging for the Premier League. And yes, they would be on a list of clubs who you would expect to go a long way in the Champions League. And then a bit of luck comes into it. This isn't the first time Liverpool and Spurs have met in Europe either, the final. It isn't. If you go back to the old uh, UEFA Cup semi-final, in 1973, Liverpool played Tottenham Hotspur and uh, Spurs were actually UEFA Cup holders that season, lost in the first leg of the semi-final, 1-0 at Anfield, and a Steve Highway away goal at White Hart Lane meant that though Spurs won the second leg 2-1, Liverpool progressed to the final and uh, and beat Borussia Mönchengladbach in the final over two legs. And that's actually quite pivotal in Liverpool's European history Absolutely. because it you know, it sets the tone for the rest of the 70s, the first half of the 80s. When you know, people talk about the UEFA Champions League and the European Champion Clubs Cup being Real Madrid's competition, well, of course, they were around and Santiago Bernabeu were around for the very conception of the competition in the 1950s. In the late 70s, and start the 80s, it became Liverpool's competition. It was Liverpool's first trophy of the 70s, a decade mm. they dominated. Well, let's see if they can add to their trophy tally. Uh, on June the 1st, Match Day Live will bring you every kick from the Estadio Metropolitano. You can listen on UEFA.com and the official app on Sirius XMFC if you're in North America. The show will start at 8 o'clock Central European summertime in the evening on Saturday the 1st of June. Cancel your plans, make excuses to duck out of your cousin's wedding, set a reminder on your phone. If this season's competition is anything to go by, it's not to be missed. I do actually know a Spurs fan who's getting married on the day One year of in. the final. There's no excuse in this show. Age. Someone yeah. buy him a Bluetooth headset and he can listen to our show. Uh, ahead of the show uh, as well, we asked you uh, to send your questions about the final via at Champions League on Twitter. Thanks for your responses. We'll put some of those to Steve and Andy uh, throughout the course of the show. So let's start by reflecting on how our two finalists made it to Madrid. First, Tottenham Hotspur, whose campaign has been summed up by leaving it late. Tottenham were left with a mountain to climb after just three games in Group B. Defeat to Inter and Barcelona, leaving Maurizio Pochettino's men in a perilous position. Rakitic! Oh, for 2-0! Wonderful strike! Caught it so cleanly from way outside of the penalty area. It flies past the goalkeeper in off the post. Barcelona double their lead at Wembley. After winning their first match of the campaign at home to PSV on match day four, the North London club knew they couldn't afford any slip-ups in the return tie against Inter at Wembley. Chance here for Deli Alley. He can tee it up for Eriksson. It's there for Spurs. That could be the goal that keeps their Champions League dream alive. Christian Eriksson's late winner keeping Tottenham's hopes alive. Next up, Barcelona. And Spurs' new victory would give them unlikely progression to the knockout stages. And it's forced home by Lucas Moura. Spurs have got an equaliser here. Just smashes it beyond Sillerson. Spurs progressed with a 1-1 draw after Inter failed to beat PSV. The Lily Whites facing Bundesliga leaders Borussia Dortmund in the round of 16. Pochettino's men began to find their form. It's another one! It's Llorente, who's only just on as a substitute. And with just four minutes to go here, Tottenham have made it three. Tottenham progressing 4-0 on aggregate. Next, English champions Manchester City and an all-time Champions League classic. Son has scored for Spurs! Kyung-Ming 
Young-Min Son giving Tottenham the edge in the first leg. An incredible seven-goal second leg went right down to the wire. Would you believe this? Raheem Sterling completes his hat-trick. Guardiola is dancing down the touchline. Oh, he's disallowed it. He's disallowed it. The VAR, Massimiliano Irati, has communicated to the referee that the goal should be ruled out for offside. The most unlikely of victories and the semi-final didn't get any less dramatic. Trailing 1-0 to Ajax after the first tie, Maurizio Pochettino's men were seemingly down and out when they trailed 2-0 at half-time in the reverse fixture at the Johan Cruyff Arena. Cue a second half that no Tottenham fan will ever forget. Lucas Moura gets one back. Tottenham are in business here. There's a route back into the tie for Spurs. It's been spilled to Moura. Scores! Oh my word! The comeback's on here in Amsterdam. Lucas Moura with two quick-fire goals. It's touchdown for Deli Alley. Lucas Moura! Oh my goodness me! This is beyond astonishing. It is beyond words. Tottenham have won it. Now, can they go one step further and claim their first ever UEFA Champions League triumph? Joe Shannon there on Spurs route to the final. Andy, after the 2-2 draw at PSV Eindhoven, Mauricio Pochettino says the team's chances of reaching the knockout stages were nearly over, one point from three games. Mm. Did you think they were going out to that point? Yes, absolutely. And um, I think that's what makes this occasion, quite apart from the fact that it's historic for Tottenham, something to savour so much. I mean... I challenge you to listen back to that last three and a bit minutes from Joe Shannon and, and not get goosebumps on, on, on several occasions. It was, it was fantastic. And what I think is so interesting is if you go back to the massive leap that Tottenham took in the, in, in the UEFA Champions League in, in, in 17-18, they went from not really looking like they knew that what they were doing in the competition and not knowing how to manage matches at this level to one of the best teams in the competition last season, all apart from... 10, 15 minutes in the second half against Juventus at Wembley. And then to get out of the group stages in a totally different way. You know, if you think the year before, they, they beat Real Madrid. They played very well at the Bernabeu as, as well. Um, they were much better than Dortmund. And to come into this stage and be so up against it after three matches, it would have been easy, I think, to refocus on the UEFA Europa League, to, to let it go, to think, let's concentrate in a, in a very competitive top six in the, in, in the English Premier League on making sure we get back into this competition next year, think what we did wrong and regroup. They didn't do that. And they were really brave in these last three games. And it wasn't flowing as well. They really had to chip away. And I feel a lot of Tottenham season at home and abroad, they've had to chip away. They've had to show another side to them. I'm sure that's something we'll come to with Liverpool in, in a bit. But to not be nearly as flowing and show how much they've taken on that experience. It says a lot for the players, and it says a lot for Pochettino. C can I hold my hands up here and say, not only did I think Spurs were going out after the first three games, I didn't expect them to go through before a ball had even been kicked. You know, when the, when, when the group, it, it's an insanely difficult group with Barcelona, Inter Milan, PSV, and Tottenham Hotspur. 
you know, if you'd absolutely made me make a make a call before the group had even begun, I think I would have said Spurs won't get out of this. Because you group. were quite impressed with PSV. I'm very anyway. impressed. I was extremely impressed with PSV. Um, if you remember, they it came to this climax where Spurs had to go to to Barcelona and rely on Inter not winning at home to PSV. And I think most people expected that Inter would win that game, but I'd actually seen PSV. You remember the game at home to Barca, which uh, was the previous match, and they. They played extremely well against Barcelona. And at that stage, I started to think, you know what? I'm not sure Inter are going to beat PSV, <laughs> but I have to say that prior to that, you know, um, one point from the first three games, I didn't give Spurs, an, I gave Spurs absolutely no chance whatsoever because um, I wasn't sure they were going to beat PSV at Wembley. No, that was a slog for them, actually. It was, day, yeah. it was. And yeah. that's that was kind of, I suppose, when they started getting a little bit of a little bit of momentum. But it is extraordinary. It was, I think it was almost unprecedented to get out of a group from that stage. I think Newcastle did something very similar going way back into into the, yeah. into the 90s, but almost unprecedented to progress after one point from three games. Yeah, extraordinary. And that set up uh, the round of 16 tie with Dortmund, which was actually a slightly rocky first half from memory against Dortmund. But then they completely dominated. And Jan Vertonghen playing as a sort of emergency left wing back mm. was an attacking inspiration in the first leg, which they, they won 3 0. He was Superman in both of those legs at both ends of the pitch. He was absolutely fantastic. And given that Dortmund are so much an improved side compared to what they were when Spurs beat them in, in, in both games last year, I thought this was really, really impressive. And there were bits of this tie that they, they had to weather. I think you look at not just the first half at, at Wembley, but the first half at Westfalen. I mean, they were really under the pump and they had to defend in their box, actually, like Atletico Madrid for, for quite a lot of it. Hugo Lloris, who has, has popped up at regular intervals, I think, throughout this, as, as any goalkeeper, as any great goalkeeper has to do on a, a Champions League run. He made some important saves. But you really, I think, saw the unity of the Tottenham team in those moments. And that, I think, is a recurring theme yeah. in the knockout stages. I think the belief, I think the belief started to really flow for Spurs after the Dortmund tie. You know, to, mm. to play Dortmund over two games without even conceding a goal, and we're talking about Vertonghen and Reese's contribution yeah. to that. You know, you you are then going to progress in the tournament feeling that you belong amongst this company if you not swipe aside Borussia Dortmund because there were some very difficult moments in the tie. But, you know, 4-0 over two games is a comprehensive victory. And, I, and clearly you then go into the next stage thinking, actually, do you know what? We we, we belong in we this belong, company. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to really start addressing the City tie with you, Steve, but the first leg was the first European game of the new stadium for Spurs, which they won. Yeah. And there was that big penalty save from Hugo Lloris, and then the second leg was just complete chaos. Well, really. I mean, you know, you can look back. We heard the drama of the VAR decision there, but, um, you know, I think that City, Manchester City's perspective, when they look back on that tie, you would have to look at the penalty in the first leg and imagine that had Sergio Aguero scored that penalty, then Manchester City go through. Yeah, and I think that totally ties into what Rob was saying about it being the first European game at the new stadium. I mean, I went to interview Musa Sissoko a little while after that, before the second leg, and um, you spoke to him and you spoke to people around the club. They said that is absolutely pivotal, that moment, because the atmosphere 
was absolutely extraordinary inside the stadium. If Sergio Aguero puts City in front after, what, less than 15 minutes, that just sucks the air out of the stadium. And in fact, it took it up to another level when Laurie saved the penalty and it was one of the pivotal moments absolutely I, I, of, of, of the campaign. There was some, there was great character in that first leg performance not only because of the penalty save but Kane went off injured and nil-nil and mm. they still rallied to win the game and not concede on the night. And it was well, again one of those moments wasn't it? You, you can it, I mean it says everything about what Harry Kane represents as a, as a player and as a totem but when he pulled up there was this just hush in the stadium wasn't there as everyone oh, actually maybe he's not alright and the, again, the fact that, as you say, the players managed to lift themselves again after that, it just shows how Tottenham keep coming back this season. I think, I think as well that you know Pochettino deserves enormous credit here because I don't think anybody believed that Spurs could really achieve... With Harry Kane in the team, they're, they're, they're a different side. If you take Harry Kane, I think even the most ardent Tottenham Hotspur fan would think that they would struggle. They would struggle without Harry Kane because he is the goal scorer and you look at the alternatives. So Pochettino has managed to rebuild probably the psychology of Urente, who had almost been written off as another Janssen, someone who would sort of disappear on loan somewhere back into Dutch football or wherever, you know. Um, and actually, Fernando Llorente has ended up being a really crucial part of this latter stages of Tottenham's campaign, and no one could have envisaged that. And um, actually, you know, we we expect, we can move on to this, but we expect that Kane will probably start the game in Madrid. But do you know what? Actually, if Harry Kane doesn't, Tottenham fans will still come into that final feeling disappointed that Kane isn't there, but not feeling that this is the end of their hopes because uh-huh. they've done it without Kane, which no one could have imagined they could. Feels like Pochettino's got the last sort of tiny bit out of every single resource in that squad eventually. And Llorente's had massive games. I think PSV, he helps up goals for Kane and then the goal against Dortmund, which really ended their contest in the tie. And then his impact off the bench against Ajax. And then we come to another backup forward for Spurs, and that is Lucas Moura. Ends this stage so far, five goals up, three of them in 35 minutes. Uh, what an impact from the Brazilian who was sort of written off at Paris Saint-Germain really well, 18 well, months ago. I mean, Andy, these, these guys, when you talk about Llorente, you talk about Lucas Moura, they may have been sort of on the sidelines of, of their teams for some time, but what they have in there, what they have in their legs is big game experience and yep. they can draw upon that. When their moment comes, they can draw upon the fact that they've done this before. And Lucas Moura, you know, just his contribution has been absolutely immeasurable to Spurs. It has, and, you know, he's someone who, I think he's a case of outlook. Since a teenager, he's seen himself as a, as a big game player. And just because you can't start all the time at Paris Saint-Germain, you know, that's no real criticism of a, a, a player. I think, you know, a lot's been made of the fact that Tottenham haven't made many or indeed this season any signings. The flip side of that is this togetherness, this sense of really knowing each other that you get. And I think the fact that Lucas Mora had that half season before this season is enormously helpful. It is hard, I think, coming in and making yourself part of of Tottenham's front line when there's Harry Kane there. Mm. But I think really this situation has been made for him to to leap into the breach. And you saw in that game against Ajax, not just what a fine player he is, but that he's a player who's very ready to take on responsibility at the, the, the biggest moments, and that's how he sees himself. Because, because even now, if you, were to, if you were to say that Spurs would play a 4-2-3-1, might be their preferred formation, if you're picking the front four in that team, if everybody's fit, 
Lucas Mora might not even get oh, in. Yeah, it, despite yeah. everything he's done for them. Uh, we'll read out some listener tweets on that very subject as well uh, a little bit shortly. So Liverpool, meanwhile, are looking for their first UEFA Champions League triumph since 2005. And we all know what happened on that incredible night in Istanbul. Phil Blacker describes how the Reds made it to yet another final. Liverpool's Champions League campaign started perfectly back in September. Firmino shoots and scores! The substitute has surely won it for Liverpool! Liverpool 3, Paris Saint-Germain 2. But away defeats to Napoli, Savena Zvezda and Paris made progression a difficult task. And remarkably, Savena Zvezda lead Liverpool by two goals to nil and Milan Pavkov has got them by. Jurgen Klopp's men did seal a route out of Group C on match day six, though, with a narrow victory at Anfield. It's the Egyptian king, Mo Salah, who just stares into the eyes of the supporters behind the goal, as if to say, look what I just did. And it's Liverpool 1, Napoli 0. Going through as runners-up, the Reds face the unenviable task of Bayern in the round of 16. Liverpool can kill the tie-off now. Sadio Mane has headed in the cross, and it's all over. Liverpool are heading through to the quarter-final of the Champions League again. Sadio Mane with the final goal in a 3-1 win in Munich after a goalless first leg. Porto were then brushed aside in the quarters. It's a fourth for Liverpool on the night and it's becoming a route from cruising to marching into the semi-finals. Before they face this man in the semis. It is a sensational strike from Lionel Messi. It's 3-0 Barcelona. It's the goal that might just put this semi-final out of Liverpool's reach. Trailing 3-0 from the first leg, Liverpool went into the second tie looking to complete Mission Impossible in order to get to the UEFA Champions League final. It's Henderson! Great save, but Origi scores! It is the perfect start! It's in from Wijnaldum for Liverpool! The substitute has scored! Liverpool are flying at them. Shakiri, Wijnaldum, 3-0! Genie Wijnaldum with a fantastic header! Substitute has scored twice in two minutes and Liverpool have levelled it up. The power of Anfield had Liverpool level, but one moment of genius was about to win the tie. It's taken quickly, Origi, who oh, scored? He scored! Divock Origi for Liverpool! They are leading with 12 minutes to go! Unbelievable! And the whistle goes, and Liverpool have won the game! Liverpool have won the game! Liverpool are heading to the Champions League final! Liverpool have done it, a second successive final. Can they go one better this time around? Phil Blacker there, Steve, we heard your commentary um, and it, did, it sounded like genuine disbelief. <laughs> when you were saying that at full time, yeah. you've had to repeat it to yourself, essentially, <laughs> to, to, to believe it. It was a pinch-yourself moment, wasn't it, yeah. really? And um, not not only the fact that um, you know they'd beaten Barcelona by four goals to nil, but the, 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 I, I still look at that final goal and, um, you know, just wonder at the incredible quick thinking of Trent Alexander-Arnold to take the corner like that, the contribution of the ball boy, but perhaps most of all, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, of the 11 Barcelona players on the pitch, the only player in, in a yellow shirt for Barcelona who was switched on to what was happening was Luis Suarez, who was standing helpless um, some metres outside the penalty area and couldn't do anything about it. Uh, yeah. every, every other Barcelona player was facing the other way. There's it's extraordinary. There's a brilliant picture of the corner coming in, and I think it's coming towards the penalty spot. It's probably five metres from the penalty spot. And Ter Stegen is trying to line up markers, completely oblivious 
to the more apparent problem of the ball being very close to Divock Origi. Let's try and keep it relatively chronological, Andy, and go back to the group stage, which wasn't plain sailing for Liverpool by any means, and a tough group with Paris Saint-Germain, Napoli and Sven Svetza. No, and um, you know it's been said that maybe the home game against Paris Saint-Germain was what they needed at the start to to get Kiev and uh, the disappointment of that out of their systems, full st- stadium, big atmosphere, uh, big opponent. But I kind of felt it ended up being like Liverpool's group stage in microcosm because it was a game in which they dominated, um, in which they were far better than Paris, but they almost managed to not win. Um, and it took that late, late winner from Roberto Firmino to, to to get them over the line. But I think the surprising thing, we talked about Tottenham's relative struggles, certainly compared to the previous season in the group stage. The surprising thing with Liverpool was how neutered they looked a, 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 away from home. I, I know, Steve, you had a stat about the one shot they had on target yeah. in the away games from the group was James Milner's penalty in Paris. And when you think of Liverpool as this ultimate counter-attacking juggernaut, when you think of the front three, you just thought, how is that possible? And it left them really compromised going into match day six. Well, they, they were well beaten in, in all three of the away games. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just can't fathom that that Liverpool team that had ripped up the Champions League group stage 12 months earlier could struggle so badly away from home that they couldn't even not only did they only score one goal away from home that was the only shot they couldn't create a chance let alone score a goal uh, and they were completely reliant on their home form which didn't let them down and very very seldom does Do you think that's impressive that they didn't let that phase them too much because my memories of them getting through the group stage and the analysis after was oh actually they shorter of the level we thought they were they changed they were a bit more pragmatic say, than the team that was full throttle last season? Well, do you know, I think it might... They're, they're, they're below par performances, perhaps, in the three group stages. Just might have sucked Bayern München into a, a, a sort of false sense of security. Because let's not forget that the first knockout, the first leg of the knockout game against them was at Anfield. And this came back to haunt them, and Lewandowski said it after the tie had finished and Bayern had gone out, that they were too negative. And perhaps Bayern felt, you know, Liverpool as a force of away from home, the leg we have to worry about here is Anfield. And they drew nil-nil at Anfield and and left Liverpool thinking that that was a good result, thinking that they were going to be playing the Liverpool of the group stages (laughs) back in Munich. And suddenly the Liverpool of 12 months before emerged and scored three goals in Munich, knocking them out. It was some performance. That that was more of a statement performance for me in Munich than even Paris Saint-Germain at home, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Really, sometimes the threat of that Liverpool front three is as much as what they can actually do. And I, th- I think that's what Bayern had in that that second leg. I mean, statistically, a nil-nil result away from home, OK, it would be nice to have the away goal. It's still pretty good. You know, it's, it should be a good building block, especially not conceding a goal at Anfield is, is, is really tremendous. But I think Niko Kovac, the Bayern coach, looked at that and thought, well, normally, Bayern go out or come out all guns blazing at, at home at the Football Arena München. But you think what Liverpool have got on the break, and they're not able to do that to Liverpool because if they overcommit, they get taken on the break. And Liverpool, I think, as, as well as ending up scoring the goals, they played so sensibly. They defended so sensibly. They controlled the game so well. When there was the, the unfortunate equaliser with the Joel Matip own goal, they didn't panic. 
they just carried on playing in exactly the same way. It didn't affect their game plan, didn't affect their approach to the game. And, you know, that impressed everyone in, in Germany so much the way that Liverpool played. And, and that was the moment at which you realised, OK, they're definitely a contender again for this title. Porto, they breezed past them in the end, 6-1 on aggregate in the quarterfinals, setting up uh, the most thrilling semi-final uh, that I can remember, really, the 4-0 win after the 3-0 defeat of the uh, Cap. Now, I feel like I'm living in a parallel universe where every other podcast in every other universe, they're talking about a Barcelona-Ajax final. And somehow we're in the one where we're talking about Spurs-Liverpool. <laughs> um, because Spurs were 10 minutes away, I felt, from being knocked out in five matches, tossing it up. This was probably the closest Liverpool got to being knocked out. And they probably should have been knocked out, Steve. I mean, you, you don't turn around that scoreline. No, I, I, I mean... I think Anfield, you know, at the risk of at the risk of sounding sort of slightly fanciful. I think Anfield is one of those rare places. There are others, but it's one of those rare places where what appears to be impossible is actually only very difficult. And beating Barcelona four nil is very very difficult. <laughs> but they showed yeah. that it's not impossible because there is a momentum. But isn't it interesting that in both hearing those again, you're reminded that in both of those incredible comebacks, Liverpool's and Spurs, there were quick fire goals. Wijnaldum scored twice in two minutes for Liverpool against Barcelona. Lucas Moura's first two goals came very tight together in Amsterdam. And suddenly the swing of the pendulum and the psychology that goes with that and the, and the doubts that will creep into even the most experienced footballer's mind in that cauldron of an atmosphere of Anfield in particular, um, is so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, as always with Liverpool at Anfield, it's about the fast start. And that's what they manage so well. I mean, the one thing I guess we haven't mentioned so far is the fact that, you know, by their standards, certainly in a forward sense, they were they were decimated, Liverpool. You know, no Firmino uh, for any significant amount of time because uh, he wasn't really fit, well, he hasn't played since. And then no Salah, which is huge. And Salah, despite the fact they lost the first leg 3-0, he played really well and with a bit of luck here and there, you know, he could have been really influential in, in, in that first leg and very decisive. Um, but to, to do it like that, I mean, it's, it's a bit like Tottenham, really, I think. You know, we associate them with very different paths to the final. But in fact, this was Liverpool doing the same thing, finding a way when all the cards were stacked against them with players like Shakiri and Divock Origi stepping up and doing things that maybe some people didn't think they were capable of. So aside from the two teams involved in the final, do we have highlights, particular highlight moments that stand out from this season's campaign? It's possibly, for me, been the most exciting of the decade. Andy, we'll start with you. Well, Ajax have obviously been a huge part of that. I'm, I'm sure they're still scratching their heads as to how they didn't get to the final, although they would be if they weren't still celebrating a domestic double at least. But I think because there are so many strong teams in the UEFA Champions League, it's always the manner that stands out more than the results in a way because, you know, you can have that bit of bad luck. I mean, you know, you look at Bayern not getting to the final against Atletico Madrid in the, the 2016 semi. You know, you, you are a hostage to fortune to a, a certain degree. But it wasn't just that Ajax were a surprise semi-finalist, but the way they did it, and especially their performances away from home, when they were incapable of 
getting any results away from home in their UEFA Europa League run to the, the, the final in, in 2017, for example. You know, they've just been an absolute delight to watch. Um, you think just not just of players who've really made their print on the tournament, like Frankie de Jong, um, Matthias de Licht, uh, Hakim Ziyech, but also a player like Dusan Tadic, who's been one of the best in Europe this Six season. Six goals, five assists. Yeah, for Dusan Tadic. you can make an yeah. argument that he's been the most influential player in this season's Champions League. I mean, they don't even get to the group stages without him because his contribution in the qualifying rounds to get them to the group stages was, was something really special. I take a pretty hard heart not to be really excited by what they've done this season. Uh, and, and talking about Tadic, you know, if you if you go back 12 months, he was playing for Southampton, a side struggling not to be relegated from the English Premier League and, and was on the fringes of their team. So to be transformed um, from uh, almost out of his cocoon into this glorious butterfly at Amsterdam <laughs> into the way that he has uh, as a false nine, which I don't think is a position that anybody ever dreamt of playing him when he was at Southampton. No. But, uh, it has been remarkable and Ajax have in many ways and, and whoever actually wins the final in many ways Ajax will be the story of this Champions League campaign but even going back there's been there's been shocks right the way through I think that's what's been so glorious about it the first game which I commentated on in this season's tournament was um, Leon winning at Manchester City and yeah. you know absolutely yeah. nobody would have imagined mm. that that would happen I mean that shows you the depth doesn't it really that uh, you know Manchester City were the huge favourites for that group and Leon outplayed them in both games got four points off them you know you look at elsewhere Porto despite the fact they came unstuck against Liverpool um, eventually they made it more difficult for them this year in uh, getting to the quarterfinals Musa Marega broke um, the, the record of uh, Mario Jardel in scoring in the most consecutive games he's scoring five consecutive Champions League games which is which is something really special there's, there's, there's been a lot to, yeah. to enjoy I've got some other ones here Dorman beating Atletico 4-0 yeah. I mean that was yeah. completely mad we had all Hoffenheim's matches 2-2s 3-3s 3-2s Ronaldo's hat-trick against Atletico to turn the tie around after a first-leg defeat and even Porto's comeback win over Roma and United at Paris Saint-Germain which seems to have been lost in all of this which was an unbelievable night well, well I mean Manchester United's uh, you know Champions League campaign they went a long way in the tournament and actually when you look at it and you really try and boil it down it was off the back of two outstanding results amidst a whole load of very very average results because obviously they won in Turin and they won in yeah, Paris yeah. Mm. Um, but their their other results perhaps sort of suggested at the uh, at the problems which we've seen domestically at Manchester United and the very very disappointing season that they had. Uh, City have scored the most goals in the competition, by the way. United rivals thirty in total. And if you'd said there will be four English teams in European finals at the end of the season, but Manchester City wouldn't be one of them, you probably wouldn't believe that. Where did it go wrong for City? Was it just the fine margins of the Champions League? the nature of the competition taking its toll again. I think it was, and I think it's also drawing Tottenham in the quarterfinal. I mean, obviously, we have but to But that was give... pretty tougher draws, wasn't there, for, for City? I mean, the, that's an open draw at that point. You could have Barcelona or Liverpool, perhaps, even. Maybe, but I, I do think drawing a domestic rival in the quarterfinal of the Champions League news, is incredibly is difficult. And you know what? I think we're going to see that with Liverpool and Tottenham in the final. Mm. It's going to be really fascinating to see how they take it on because you don't only have the build-up and the atmosphere of a Champions League game. You have all the domestic focus, all the domestic media attention, and it just magnifies it all. It's a lot to deal with, I think. I think if you go back into into sort of the relatively recent history of, of ties between English teams in, in the UEFA Champions League, 
Of course, Spurs shouldn't knock Manchester City out of out of this competition. But if you go back and look at the three semi-finals between Liverpool and Chelsea, Liverpool won two of those. They shouldn't have won any of them. You know, Chelsea were better than Liverpool <laughs> yeah, yeah. at that stage. If, 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 if it had been a domestic game, you'd have Chelsea to win eight times out of ten. And yet of the three semi-finals, Liverpool won twice. Yeah, and Liverpool weren't favourites against Manchester City last year in the, in the no, quarterfinals no, either. And, and, and they managed to do it, I think, pretty comfortably in the end, give or take the, the, the first half of the, of, of the second leg in that. But, you know, I think it, it is so difficult against a, an opponent you know so well. And City couldn't have done much more in that second leg. We talk about the fine margins of the of the UEFA Champions League, and I think that's a really obvious example. That second leg, Messi will finish surely top scorer of the competition, way out in front with uh, twelve goals. It's notable that in the top goal scorers and top goal providers, there's no Liverpool. Spurs players really to be seen. I think Kane and Lucas Moura on five is next down the list. Below Lewandowski, Tadic, Ronaldo, Morega. And Aguero feels like a real team collective effort to get to this final, Steve. Well, absolutely. And, um, you know, Liverpool do tend to sort of spread their goals around. But obviously, in, in key games, they've had players pop up unexpectedly like Origi with his two goals in the semi-final. But it does it does seem surprising that when you look down that list of scorers, Messi, 12, Lewandowski, Tadic, Cristiano Ronaldo, Morega, Aguero... No Liverpool player, no Tottenham player. Again, you know, it just leaves you <laughs> scratching your head at this competition. Well, he had that impassioned speech at the start of the season on the pitch of the uh, the Camp Nou where he said he, the mission was to bring the Champions League trophy back to Barcelona. We saw Juve get knocked out by Ajax. Andy, I wonder if there's going to have to be a bit of a culture change at some of these clubs, the top clubs, in thinking that we define our season by the Champions League because it's too much of a lottery you can have the best team and still lose and then your season feels a little bit flat I mean will you they feel that Juventus in particular they sign Ronaldo but they feel a bit flat they've won the league again but they've not won this yeah a little bit and I think we've seen that especially in Spain with um, Barcelona's double last season really being overshadowed by Real Madrid's Champions League yeah, and yeah, you know them being fair. treated as, as as failures almost but like I said going back to what we were talking about before I do feel that you know, with a bit of distance, you can't put it down to just the result. You can't use just the result to define it because, as you say, there are so many indefinables, there are so many great teams, but it is about the manner. And so that's why Barcelona have found it so difficult to digest. The way they went out after holding a big league lead in this year's semi-final against Liverpool, the way they went out last season against Roma, having held such a big league. And, you know, I think this is something that can get inside your head. We've seen like that sort of behaviour of repetitive behaviour of Paris Saint-Germain as well, haven't haven't we? You know, that they've been vulnerable to to these sort of comebacks as well. And what we've seen in this year's Champions League more than any other, like, you're never safe. What sort of lead makes you safe? It's strange, isn't it, that, that you know, Real Madrid might be reflecting that losing Cristiano Ronaldo perhaps loses you the chance to win the Champions League again and yet Juventus will be reflecting that having Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't guarantee you yeah. the chance to win mm. it either um, and, and Manchester City and, and Paris Saint-Germain at the moment are probably in a, in a similar boat is that somehow there's something that they've not managed to um, get into their the DNA of those clubs, which allows them to succeed right to the final game of this incredible Champions League. Somehow, 
they haven't yet cracked it. And, and the longer it is for those clubs without getting there, the harder it will become, actually, strangely. Well, I suppose we could argue, though, that this season the, the collective has, has, has trumped the individual because you can say with Cristiano Ronaldo, he's really papered over a lot of cracks at Real Madrid over the last couple of seasons with those key goals at key moments, clutch, as the Americans would say. But he was unable to do that this season. Messi was unable to do that this season. And we've seen two real collectives in Liverpool and Tottenham that have made it all the way. Okay, much more to come on this uh, special final preview podcast. Uh, We'll be hearing from Jurgen Klopp and Hugo Lloris. For the latest UEFA announcements, financial fair play regulations, disciplinary matters and more, visit uefa.com and don't forget that you can follow uefa on facebook twitter and instagram over 60 years in the service of the european game uefa we care about football so at the time of recording uh, in terms of players actually available for the final from a spurs point of view i think question marks lingering over kane winks and maybe even uh, uh, Vertonghen, Firmino and Cater probably for Liverpool. We'll go through a Twitter Q&A here about the final. Uh, Steve, starting with you, Naj asks, who partners Virgil van Dijk in defence now that Joe Gomez, who was his brilliant defensive partner at the start of the season, is back from injury? I think Matip. You know, yes, Gomez is, is fit, but if you remember, he, he broke his ankle at Burnley, I think at the turn of the year, early January. He hasn't played a lot of football since. I think Matip really has, has had an exceptionally good second half to the season. I think for any central defender to play alongside Van Dijk helps, but um, I, I, I don't see Matip not, not starting the final. Uh, Lovren, we, Lovren not even getting no, no, a mention in that. No, I agree with you. I think I think Matip, he was fantastic. I thought the second leg against Barcelona. Uh, Harman Andy asks, with Origi playing a crucial role in important games, should he be dropped for a Firmino who's had no game time leading up to the match? What was the date, Steve? You had that Firmino's last... It was sort of mid-April, wasn't it, or something like that, since he last played in 90 he minutes. Played, he played 90 minutes for Liverpool at Cardiff uh, on the 21st of April and uh, had this had this tear prior to their next game, which was five days later at home to Huddersfield. Yeah. So that's six weeks. I yeah, mean, and I think that's the concern, that there's a sort of attempted comeback at the end of the, the Barcelona game, and we've not seen him again since. So to, to answer the question... Should Origi be dropped for for Firmino? No, I, I don't think he should do, especially with what Origi contributed to the the, the, the semi final. I actually completely disagree with you. <laughs> Go on. Well, because I think that you know that um, Roberto Firmino is so key to, to to Liverpool's pressing game and all the rest of it because he's not he's not an out and out number nine. He's Origi a facilitator, can't, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, Origi can't Origi can't play that game. Won't bring Salah on one side and Mane into the game in the way that. That Roberto Firmino does. And Origi has proven himself to be a, a fantastic substitute. Now, without being in Liverpool's medical staff, without counting the white blood cells or whatever they do and all the t- <laughs> testing that goes on, we can't say how fit Roberto Firmino is. But it's the Champions League final. I, I, you know, you may be running a risk. You may be running a risk. And OK, you know, that that might be a toll that Roberto Firmino has to play. He may be he may be counted out of the Copa America, but Liverpool aren't going to worry about that. Liverpool will start with Firmino. Well, this is the no, same dilemma not. for both teams, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, Spurs it are waiting on Kane. The concern is not for the international teams, is it? It's not for the next match. It's for the, do we get ourselves in the same situation 
as Atletico Madrid got themselves in with Diego Costa in 2014, where you're essentially a player down and you have to have a rethink after 10 minutes. That is the the concern. And with Firmino already having broken down once, I think that's arguably a bigger risk with Kane, even though it's longer since Kane's played in, in, a, in a full game. Yeah, City at home, of course, yeah. is the last time that he uh, competitively kicked a ball. Um what do you think, this one from uh, Mirgresh, what do you think is the most important head-to-head battle in the game? And there will be quite a few. I mean, we've not really talked about Hyunmin Son in great depth yet. He's been fantastic. But can you see head-to-head battles on the pitch, whoever Van Dijk has to deal with as a, as a, as a key one in this match? If you're talking about, you know, most most games, ultimately, if you, if you take out the, the contribution of geniuses, most games are perhaps influenced in, in more than any other area of the pitch in midfield. And I think Sissoko and his role for Spurs is going to be so important. I mean, Sissoko has amazed people by his progression. There was a time when Pochettino sort of almost had completely given him the cold shoulder and he was, he was actually sort of um, uh, quite critical of him when he, did, when he did come in. Now, this season, he's ended up being a crucial part of Spurs midfield. I think the question is... I'm uh, not quite sure what Liverpool midfield would be. I mean, I expect it would be, I suspect Henderson and Wijnaldum are virtually guaranteed to start. Cater's fitness is an issue. But it's whether Sissoko is up to the job of matching Liverpool's midfield. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be an absolute crucible for Sissoko. He is going to either turn out to be the real deal or not in this game for me. You stole my point. I was going to have that. <laughs> so, I, I, well, it's unavoidable how good he's he's been, isn't it? I actually think Sissoko might end up pushing out into that almost wide right position that he played for, for France because for me, the key area is going to be that left-hand side for, for, for Liverpool. So Andy Robertson gets through an enormous amount of work there. We know Sadio Mane can, can drift out there as well. That is a lot for Kieran Trippier to deal with. That's before we even talk about him influencing the attacking side of the game. So knowing that Sissoko has played that kind of wide role, sort of using his athleticism in the channels. I wonder if he's going to have to come across there and help. They're out just a, a bit thin bit. through the middle, though, aren't they, Spurs? And in defensive mm. midfield in particular, because they sold Dembele in January. Winks has been injured. Wanyama's just coming back, really. Mm. Mm. So I think you're on Sissoko's importance. It's then who starts alongside him to try and cope with the energy of a Liverpool midfield that rotates and looks sharp every single. Game? Do you think it will be Deli Ali a bit deeper alongside him? Or? Well, that's that's the sort of million dollar question, yeah. isn't it? Really, because if Deli Ali does drop out of the three behind the striker for Spurs and play in a, in a deeper role, then it does obviously open up a gap for Lucas Moura, who who has proved to um, you know be be the guy with the golden touch in this in this competition for Spurs this season. This is and this Ali is... has done that very well, hasn't he? I mean, when he first came into the the Tottenham team after arriving as a teenager, I think it's one of the things that caught people's eye: the fact that he was someone who did know what he was doing in, in, in a deeper position which is so unlikely for a, a teenager coming into what he was jumping two divisions to yeah, come yeah, into yeah. to come into a Premier League team a top Premier League team and and look the part in that position and yet I would say that you could possibly argue that Deli Ali is one of the few Spurs players who's had a poorer season this than he did last hmm. this I think Finn who tweeted in was having a bit of a crisis here Clearly a Spurs fan. Would love a Winx-Sizoko pivot, praying that Winx is fit. Who do you drop from the attack? Drop Lucas? 
keep Kane on the bench. He's just sort of spewing out his own <laughs> internal monologue there. Um, I don't think we're quite sure who would start alongside Tzoka. We'll wait and see. Let's hear from the Spurs goalkeeper Hugo Lloris next. Uh, the World Cup winner says reaching the Madrid showpiece is an incredible achievement. I think it's a great moment for the club, for all the fans, uh, for all the players involved, for the coaching staff. Um, to be um, involved for Champions League final is uh, like a dream. And we need um, to put us in, in the best condition to arrive with the right freshness in terms of uh, mental and in terms of body, um, to be ready to compete, to be ready to fight and, and make uh, everything happen to, to, to win this game. Yeah. Hugo Lloris, the Spurs captain there. Meanwhile, the Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp has also been looking ahead to the showdown against Spurs in the Spanish capital. There's no, no easy game eh? in the Champions League. There's no easy game and why should the final be easy? For sure not, but um, so far we really always used our experience in, this, in these moments and um, in all the moments of the season this year, the, the Premier League season, is we, we, we made a, a jump of 25, last year we were 25 points behind City, I think now we were one point behind. That's not exactly the, 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 the perfect um, position, but it's still 25 points more than we had last year and we played a good season last year. Um, so that's what we have to do, we have to play the football we stand for, we have to play LFC football, that's the plan. Then it'll still be difficult, it'll still be difficult, but it was difficult in all the other games as well. So we know that already, so why should we then think too much about it? If we are really on our absolute top level, then we are a difficult game team to play, but we know Tottenham as well. Jurgen Klopp's done the maths, 25 points more than last season. And they finished the Premier League season 26 points above Spurs in the Premier League table. Which brings us nicely to RF Gaucho's question on Twitter. Does the Champions League change the dynamic that's built up between the two clubs? Or will this be like a Premier League match? Liverpool doing the double over Spurs this season, Steve. Well, yes, I think it does change it a little bit. Um, it changes it a lot, in fact. But actually, when you look, you can talk about 26 points or whatever it is between the two sides in the, in the league table. When you look at when the two teams have played each other this season, Liverpool won at Anfield thanks to a very late Hugo Lloris era. Um, Liverpool probably dominated the game uh, and won it, but it was still a narrow victory at Spurs, at Wembley, earlier in the season. And the last time one of these sides really thumped the other one was Spurs 4, Liverpool 1 back in the autumn of last season. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so these games are generally tight and I expect this to be tight as well. I, don't, I do not see the 26 points between the two being relevant over 90 minutes in Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can make an argument that Tottenham could have won that game at Anfield in, in spring, um, especially in the second half in which they were really terrific. And Liverpool looked as if they'd run out of ideas towards the end of that, before that freak goal really gave them the, 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 the win. And you don't really see Liverpool running out of attacking ideas too often. You know, we see, saw that against Barcelona, even with the absence of um, Firmino and, and, and Salah. So, look, Tottenham have, have got a lot to say in this. I, I think the gap is, is pretty immaterial. And like I said, I believe all the pressure is on Liverpool. Final one. Who, so you said Vinaldum Henderson in that central midfield. We asked the question on Twitter and just so many variations of what Liverpool's midfield three mm. will be. What do you think it's going to be? Well, I think I think it'll be those two and Fabinho would be my expectation. Yeah, I agree. No James Milner for a penalty. 
Well, um, bring him on in the hundred you know minute. <laughs> if it's if it's gonna if it looks like it's going to a shootout, I think you can guarantee that James Here Milner will on. be on the pitch. Uh, match day live Saturday, the first of June, live on UEFA.com and the official Champions League app, and across North America on Sirius XMFC. Full live commentary will be on air from eight in the evening Central European Summer Time, with the best build-up and big-name interviews, key reaction, and the review podcast available after the game. Uh, don't forget the annual UEFA Champions League Festival which will run from Thursday the 30th of May until Sunday the 2nd of June in Madrid city centre. The festival is free and includes the UEFA Ultimate Champions Tournament featuring a crop of past and current footballing legends. There'll be freestylers, autograph signing sessions, bands, DJs and the chance to have your photo taken with the trophy as well. And speaking of bands, Imagine Dragons will perform live at the opening ceremony presented by Pepsi. The Grammy Award winning group will take to the stage minutes before Kickoff. Dua Lipa was pretty popular, actually, from memory last year. The Liverpool she fans were all seeing. She played a blinder in Kiev. <laughs> Head to UEFA.com for more details. Uh, so we've been looking forward to the big match in Spain, but next we'll talk about another all-English European final. Since it began in 1992, the UEFA Champions League has produced some of the greatest matches in the history of the game. Watch highlights of some of the best by heading to the dedicated history section on UEFA.com. You're listening to a special UEFA Champions League final preview podcast with me, Rob Daly, Andy Brassel and Steve Wilson. Time now, though, to look ahead to the UEFA Europa League final on Wednesday, the 29th of May between Chelsea and Arsenal in the Azerbaijani capital of Baku. Chris Parrott has the details. This is the first time ever that One Nation's provided all four of the major European finalists and it should be a London derby to remember in Azerbaijan. Chelsea remain unbeaten in this season's tournament. 11 wins from 14 games so far, but they were pushed all the way by Eintracht Frankfurt in the semi-finals. Their hero for so long to take them to Baku! He finished 2-2 on aggregate before Chelsea won the shootout at Stamford Bridge. Hazard's future remains a major talking point. So does the Belgian star think this season's final will be his Chelsea swan song? I don't think that, you know, I'm only thinking to win something for, for this club, for this squad. If it's my last game, I will try to do everything. If it's not, you know, I will see, you know. In my mind, I don't know yet, so I'm just thinking to, to win games, that's it. One man who's definitely bowing out in Baku is Petr Cech. The Arsenal goalkeepers retiring after the Europa League final, so it's a fairy tale finish to his career. He spent 11 seasons at Chelsea and is widely regarded as one of their true greats. Throughout my career, I, uh, I actually reached some of those uh, dreams, and, and my last dream, obviously, is, uh, is, uh, is to win the last final. So, you know, I'm very happy that uh, we went through this very difficult test today, and we, we really deserve to go through. Arsenal beat Valencia to book their place in the final, mostly thanks to a fantastic display from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Aubameyang's treble helped Arsenal win 7-3 on aggregate and the Gunners' progression to the final means it's another showpiece for the man they call Mr Europa League, Unai Emery. We are doing good way. Uh, we are also finding our, our moments, uh, finding the possibility to go to the Champions League and also play for this title. And we are in the final and it's going to be very difficult, but uh, it's the last step. And uh, here today, I think, the team show, show us uh, a big character. Emery's already a three-time winner thanks to his spell with Sevilla, 
but this season's final has extra significance for him and his side. Arsenal missed out on Champions League qualification through the Premier League, so they must win in Baku if they're to join Europe's elite next season. Chris Parrott there. Let's review the final then, Andy and Steve. First time, by the way, that England, that nations had all four European finalists uh, in a campaign. Is there a favourite, Steve? Narrowly, I think Chelsea would be um, favourites for me because in the man that we heard from there, Eden Hazard, they have, they have one of the best half a dozen or so players in the world. And, um, you know, if you look across... The areas of the pitch. I think the only I think the only area where I think Arsenal maybe have the edge over Chelsea is in a goal scorer. That's been the problem for Chelsea all season. Yeah. Higuain, his loan spell has not been as successful perhaps as uh, as Chelsea would have liked. Olivier Giroud, who of course is a former Arsenal player, there's another twist, is still handy, but more so as a substitute. So Aubameyang is the goal scorer on the pitch, but for me the best player on the pitch is Hazard. And I think it is likely to be his farewell. And I think he's likely to swing it Chelsea's way. And I think the question really is, is whether Maurizio Sarri sticks with his, well, mainly, give or take, Eden Hazard, his Europa League lineup. Yeah, Giroud, the top scorer at the moment in the competition. Well, that's, that's the thing. And Hazard is not someone who's a loudmouth, but on the same time, he's not been quiet on the fact that he loves to play with Giroud. And it's all about making your best player feel comfortable, isn't it? In this situation, there's all the ammunition that Sarri could possibly need to play Giroud and he is the perfect foil for, for Eden Hazard and maybe that starts to negate the fact that Arsenal with that burgeoning partnership between Aubameyang and Lacazette do have that extra punch in the in the final third. Having said that I think Sarri trusts Higuain because of his relationship with him in the past at Napoli in the way that he trusts Jorginho even though a lot of Chelsea fans obviously it's been a debate all season why is Jorginho playing where he is and N'Golo Kante playing where he is well the reason is because Sarri trusts Jorginho and Sarri yeah. I think trusts Higuain though the the evidence of, of playing Higuain has not really been there um, he has put in some really average performances for Chelsea in this loan spell. And what we have to say about Arsenal as well, uh, I mean, you can talk about the journey to the final. Arsenal couldn't have had much tougher ties on the route. And you feel Chelsea had to take quite a big step up against Eintracht Frankfurt in the semi-final. And it almost did for them. You know, Frankfurt yeah, penalties, were, I mean, were, yeah. were, were terrific in that second leg and Chelsea just squeezed through on the penalties, as you say, Rob. So, I mean, Arsenal have been playing almost Champions League standard opposition really for the past three rounds and it's something that they've they've managed to get through and they've done it very impressively and uh, they need to win to qualify for the Champions League next season of course which is a massive factor they have Unai Emery Mr Europa League as Chris Parrott called him uh, yeah there I suppose that is a factor he just he just does it in this competition <laughs> well yes it is but I mean also you know you could look at it and say well you know Sarri is after the first major trophy of his career I, I, I just feel when you when you look at the strengths of the squads I just feel that Chelsea have that yeah. little bit of an edge yeah. Petacek saying farewell this will be his last uh, game for Arsenal against another mentioned twist another one there Andy and Facing club where he had his ultimate successes, yeah, his he, best time. He told me after the Valencia uh, semi-final first leg that that was his dream 
and it's, it's, it's come true. It would be an incredible ending uh, to him. I mean, he might be busy, given the way that Arsenal have defended in, in, in some of these games. But what I, I think is interesting is the fact that they've, they've got themselves into a few holes. Uh, if, if you go back across the knockout rounds, particularly losing the, the first leg at Barté, losing the first leg at Rennes, that looked to have really seriously compromised them. And they've managed to find the attacking answers through Lacazette, through Aubameyang, through Ozil and a combination of other players to, to get there. Of course, Aaron Ramsey's a huge miss. I don't think there's any doubt yeah, about injured that. Injured for the final along with uh, Loftus-Cheek as well for Chelsea. That, yeah. that, that's right. It's a, it's a blow. But I still think Arsenal do have a, a lot of attacking punch available to them. OK, before we finish, let's quickly return to the main event, the Champions League final. It's quite nice when we have what feels like quite a fresh game for the final. I know these two sides meet in the Premier League, but it felt like there was a spell where there were a lot of similar games at the back end of the Champions League. What kind of game is this going to be, Steve, do you think? Full throttle, first minute, both teams going at each other, a bit more caution in there? Well, logic tells you that it, there should be a bit more caution in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but actually, when push comes to shove, you know, both these sides are at their best when they have something to chase. And there's nothing yeah. bigger to chase than this trophy and this game. And um, I actually think it could, it could be one of the great attacking finals. Having said that, it could go the other way because so much is at stake. I, I, I just feel there is a, a, a slight feeling with all the emotion of Pochettino on the pitch in Amsterdam and everything, Spurs have to get over that hurdle of feeling that they've achieved a goal, that reaching the final is a prize in itself. I hope they don't go into the final thinking that, and I'm, I'm sure that there's lots of, psychological work going on to make sure that they don't feel that. I think Liverpool's need is greater and Liverpool's defeat in Kiev will will drive them on. And logic suggests Liverpool are favourites, but wow. I think we can. one thing we can definitely say, all of us, is that logic absolutely goes out the window in, in this year's UEFA Champions League. It's been an incredible ride. And I, I, I know where Steve is coming from, though, because I do think the journey for... Um, Liverpool did start at the final whistling in Kiev. I thought it's so difficult to get over a, a Champions League final defeat as we've seen for so many teams over the years. But there wasn't a minute where they sulked and felt sorry for themselves or saw it as a pinnacle. You know, you're talking about, Steve, about Tottenham maybe seeing this as a pinnacle. Liverpool never saw Kiev as that. They thought, right, where can we improve for next year? And they went about systematically eliminating all well, they the signed for being they had in their about team. two days after the final. Yeah, Alisson was, yeah. was, was, yeah. was pretty soon afterwards. They already had Naby Keita in the bag. And they did everything they could to take the positivity from that and keep on the up. And that's something that they've done really well. Well, about a bit of redemption here, because Jurgen Klopp's had two finals, lost them both, one with Dortmund and one with Liverpool. And Mo Salah going off with that shoulder injury in the... Who knows what would have happened? Because mm. he, he was unbelievable at that point uh, in that final. He'll he'll feel this is his stage once again, Mo Salah. Well, Salah, if you remember, I think it would be around about sort of the quarterfinal stage when there was... Uh, a lot being said about Liverpool maybe ending their long, long wait for the domestic title. Mohamed Salah said, you know, I understand why people want to win the Premier League at this club, but I want to win the Champions League. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, I'm sure, is all wrapped up with what happened to him in Kiev. You know, it would be a sixth European Cup or Champions League victory for, for Liverpool if they can achieve it. And, um, you know, that would put them... Then you, you, you would put them above Barcelona. It would put them above... 
um, Bayern München, it would be only behind AC Milan and Real Madrid. And Liverpool feel themselves to be an elite European club. And um, I think that then, you know, on six, you would have to um, <laughs> bow to that. Um, but having said that, you know, Andy, Andy says, I mean, you know, it's been, a, it's been a year of upsets. It's a competition designed to present you with the unexpected. Uh, predictions is the next bullet point on the running order. I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's clear that Liverpool are the, the, the better team. Yeah. Um, the game management largely especially in the knockout stages, has been excellent. But this has been the year of the unexpected. And as you said earlier, Rob, Tottenham have been dead and half buried on a number of occasions in this season's Champions League. I think Tottenham to edge it. Steve? Um, it's the seventh time that a Champions League final has been contested by teams from the same country. Three of the previous six have gone to penalties. Are you I trying think... to hide behind stats here, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be four out of... Seven goes to penalties, but I'm going to say Liverpool on penalties. Can I one final quick one before we go? It's three weeks since they both last played. Do you think they're both quite happy with that? Because they both have squads carrying a few yeah, and knocks I think it's and niggles. And... Especially important for Tottenham, who feel like they've been through six months of stodge, really. They've had a lot of bad injuries. And of course, they've not had an enlarged squad to deal with it. Whereas Liverpool stacked up. They were in the bare bones in midfield when it came to Kiev last they year. Were, yeah. They're not going to have yeah. that again because they've planned against it. Tottenham, on the other hand, are working with exactly what they worked with last season and they've they've just found a way to get through it they have been loving these three weeks there's no doubt about it <laughs> well Liverpool are in Marbella so maybe they're enjoying it a little bit more uh, a reminder Match Day Live returns on Saturday the 1st of June for the big one in Madrid and we'll have full live commentary as Tottenham take on Liverpool our programme begins at 8 o'clock Central European Summertime in the evening with all the best build up and preview and afterwards we'll bring you all the key reaction to what is sure to be an enthralling encounter we'll be live on UEFA.com the Champions League app as well as Sirius XM FC in North America so you can listen to us wherever you are and don't forget there'll be another podcast to download after the final with the best analysis of the showpiece keep tweeting your thoughts to at Champions League using the hashtag MatchDayLive but for now from Andy Brassel Steve Wilson and myself Rob Daly it's goodbye you've been listening to UEFA Champions League Matchday Live